0: Hi, this is Pastor Jeff Vines in Los Angeles, California, and all of our staff from all around the world who are involved in Today with Jeff Vines want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. What do I do in spiritual winter then, Jeff? You keep seeking, you keep searching, you keep worshiping, you keep loving God even when it feels like he doesn't love you because you don't know the upper story. You don't know what's going on out there. You only know what's going on down here. There's gotta be a time in your life when you recognize that you're finite and your understanding is finite and God is infinite. And where you stop, he's just beginning. And Job keeps questioning God and he does what hurting people do. I've done this, you've done this, some of you are doing it right now. You contradict yourself. On the one hand, my mother would say, you know what, my parents abused me. I'm never going to get over it. I'm going to be a victim all my life. And then on another hand, I'd hear her talking in a conversation and she would say, but God is good. He's the anchor of my soul. He will work everything together for good. Today. Today. Today.
1: Today with Jeff finds
0: We are taking the gospel to the world.
1: Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher.
0: One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them.
1: You make me wanna dance and sing With every single breath I breathe I will break this offering You are my wonder, you bring the wonder Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome again to Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill and welcome to if it's the first time you're joining us. Today, we're continuing a message from Pastor Jeff, talking about winter. Not the chilly, frosty kind some parts of the world are experiencing right now, but spiritual winter. It's a season when we can't feel God or feel as close to God as we would like. Pastor Jeff is providing ways to overcome these seasons. So let's hear from him now. This is Today with Jeff Vines.
0: I can tell you this, three things happen and they're beautiful quickly. Number one, when spiritual winter comes, you get real clear who's in control of your life. You get real clear. The problem we have in spiritual summer when everything's going well is we go right back to Mesopotamian wisdom literature. We don't say it out loud, but here's what we think. My life's going well. God is good, but I know why. It's because I'm good. I'm good and God is blessing me because I do everything right. Okay, and what happens in spiritual summer is that people who are hurting—you don't have a lot of sympathy for them because you're thinking, yeah, I know why you're hurting. You're not good, man. You're just not good. You're not good. If you were good like me, things—good things—would happen. But look at you. And by the way, you, you're an irritation to me because my life's going so well. I don't really, really hear about your bad stuff. Now, I know this is old. And I have resisted using it for like 10 years now. You will notice that this is not something I have used for seven years since I've been your senior pastor. But sometimes you just got to pull them out of the closet. Some of you have heard it. A lot of you young people probably haven't. But it's actually, it's supposedly, I think it's an urban legend more than anything else. But it's a supposed transcript of a radio conversation between a U.S. naval ship and the Canadian authorities, okay? So these two ships meet in the, in the, on the ocean or on the, near the coast. The Americans radio and say, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The Canadian captain responds by saying, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The Americans say, this is the captain of the U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. And the Canadian says, no. I say again, you divert your course. The American comes back and says, this is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees. Degrees north, that's one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. To which the Canadians responded, This is a lighthouse, your call. <laughs> I know it's old, but it's still good. And the point is this, and I do have one you can go on a collision course with God, but sooner or later you're going to learn one way or another, He's the one that's in control of your life, not you. And when you go into stormy waters and when you feel that the presence of God is not there, you've got to take your emotions by the scruff of the neck and lead them to what you know is objectively true, that God never leaves you. Then no matter what you feel, he's right there. And if there is some movement, maybe it's you've moved, not God, but God still follows. What do I do in spiritual winter then, Jeff? You keep seeking. You keep searching. You keep worshiping. You keep loving God even when it feels like he doesn't love you because you don't know the upper story. You don't know what's going on up there. You only know what's going on down here. There's got to be a time in your life when you recognize that you're finite and your understanding is finite and God is infinite. And where you stop, he's just beginning. And Job keeps questioning God and he does what hurting people do. I've done this, you've done this, some of you are doing it right now. You contradict yourself. On the one hand, my mother would say, you know what, my parents abused me. I'm never gonna get over it. I'm gonna be a victim all my life. And then on another hand, I'd hear her talking in a conversation and she would say, but God is good. He's the anchor of my soul. He will work everything together for good. I can't stand my parents, but God will use it for his glory. I hate my mom and dad, but God is building in me a spiritual house. Well, which is it? and Job does the same thing he says in chapter 19 know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me he blocked my path so I cannot pass he shrouded my path in darkness he tears me down on every side until I'm gone and then a few verses later in verse 25 he says I know my redeemer lives and in the end he will stand on the earth and I myself will see him with my own eyes how my heart yearns within me what a schizophrenic man which one is it (laughs) Why is God doing this to me? On the other hand, my Redeemer lives and he'll have the final say. Why don't you show me what's happening, God? God knows and he'll work everything together for his good and his kingdom. Wow. William Cowper wrote, blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his works in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. The sovereignty of God applies to every walk of life, not just your good ones, even the bad ones. And it requires trust. Frank Sontag on the KKLA, uh, on the uh, drive home show on Wednesday, they always invite me on for like, come on for a segment, which is 20 minutes. I walk out of there an hour and a half later. And we've been just conversing on the radio. And he said, look, uh, we've got a question for you now that we have you on air, Pastor Jeff. Could you please, in about 30 seconds to a minute, explain the reason of pain and suffering? (laughs) You know, folks, I love going to the gym. No, I don't. Do you, you don't believe that, do you? I hate going to the gym. I try to run three to five miles a week and go to the gym, lift the weights twice a week. I don't like it. I'm drinking green tea now. <laughs> you think I like the stuff? I put a little honey and try to make it a little better. I'm drinking green tea. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm dieting for the first time in my life. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Just certain foods I can, I've realized I can't take in anymore, like cheeseburgers. I can't take them anymore. They go right here to here. It's just it's like there's a little pouch that sits there waiting for the cheeseburger. Everything else just purifies, but the cheeseburger goes right there. Or, or cookies, you eat them and they just stack right here. I don't like that. Now, I'm not saying anything wrong with that, but for me, I'm not going to do it. So I don't eat things that I love. Like I really love ice cream. Ice cream is from God. Nothing could be that, I mean, ice cream, but I don't eat it. And I love it, especially bluebell ice cream. If you know what that is, you know why. Now, so why do you do it then? If you don't like it, why do you do it? Well, I do it because I know that the gain on the other side far outweighs any sacrifice I make on this side. That's Paul's message, that there's a gain to be made even in spiritual winter when you can't feel the presence. And here's what he gets at. Not only do you understand who's in control but you also begin to truly understand the kind of God God is, not the kind of God you think he ought to be. Now, I want you to look at this next segment here. We could, this is representative, these next two verses are representative of probably 26 chapters of, of Job's thinking. And for a long time, now stay with me because these next two parts, yeah, it's worth coming today if you just stay with me. We don't really know who wrote the book of Job. We assume Moses because it was revealed to Moses by God, the story of Job. And so in this segment, I wonder, is Job self-talk? Is he talking to himself? Is he reminding himself? And I think, please stay with me. Sometimes you have to remind yourselves of things that you do know with certainty to help you understand the things you don't know. So you remind yourself, wait a minute, here's what I do know. Like when my wife and I get in a fight and and it's her fault. Uh, what, I mean, sometimes it's her fault. Most of the time, it's my fault. But anyway, when we get into conversation and I get really angry with my wife, I'll say, wait a minute, hold on. I think I've misread the situation here because here's what I know about Robin. She is kind and she is lovely and she would never say anything to hurt anybody on purpose. Okay, because I know that, then I'm gonna take what she said to me. I'm gonna give her the benefit of the doubt. I don't understand why, but I'll wait until I have conversation, Okay. Job does something similar. Look at what he writes in Job 38, verse 25. Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain to water a land where no man lives, a desert with no one in it, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Now, that's just indicative of what you're gonna find in about 28 chapters of the book of Job. And what is he doing? Job is asking himself a question. He says, wait a minute, hold hold on. Why does God send water and rivers and rain into places where nobody lives? Why does he do that? Why why does God cut a channel and tore of rain to water a land no man lives and there's a desert and God makes a river run through it? I'm in Job 38 verses 25 through 27. And it's like Job says, wait a minute, God is gratuitously good. He is good just because he enjoys being good. I mean, he sends streams of living water flowing out just by exuberant generosity. It's not needed, but he does it. There's a wilderness where nobody lives, and yet it's full of beauty and grace because God makes a river run through it. And then he keeps going, and he mentions again, remember? He mentions the ostrich. He says, this is a funny-looking animal. This is, and this ostrich has no apparent use to anybody. It's goofy-looking. She flaps her wings and lays her eggs, and she can't remember where she put them. And Job is speaking this out loud. She doesn't seem worth the investment. And yet when she runs, she's faster than horse and rider. But why did God make her faster? I mean, this is of no real good use. And yet here's the offer. Why would God waste so much talent? And then he moves on. He starts talking about the behemoth, which modern scholars think is a hippopotamus, which is a strange animal. It has no particular use. Job says, can anyone capture him when he's on the watch? With barbs, can anyone pierce his nose? Job's saying, the hippopotamus is worth nothing. I mean, it's not like we can tie a cart and plow the fields with them. This is a useless, a matter of fact, the ancient world considered the hippo to be a chaotic monster that had to be destroyed. And then there's this shocking verse in chapter 40 of the book of Job, verse 19. He ranks first among the works of God. Do you know what God is saying here? The hippo's my best work. I had my A game going when I made the hippo. I stood back and said, man, that, everything else is good, but he's really good. And Job says, why? And it's, it's like, that through all these chapters, Job says, wait a minute. God is caring. He's giving. And he delights in animals and creation that aren't good for anything. Wait a minute. God is a giver. And he gives just because he can. And he's gratuitously good. And then in Job 42, verse 5, that famous verse, my ears have heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job says, I thought I knew you before. But in this spiritual winter, as I began to seek you, I have seen you in a way that I've never seen you before. God, you're worth it, aren't you? You're worth me going through this, even though I don't understand it all. I don't know the upper story. You're worth it because you made the ostrich. You you made the hippo. You, You made all kinds of beautiful, wonderful things, and you didn't even have to. It's just your creative capacity. It's your gratuitous goodness. God, you've given us so many good things we don't deserve, and yet, God, you're a giver, you're worth it, aren't you, God? You're worth it. Because this winter's not going to last forever. So Job is saying, on the basis of what I do know about God, that he's gratuitously good and irrationally loving, on that basis, I'll trust God for the things I don't know. And he goes on. And ultimately, he believes that the light will someday push back the darkness and everything associated with the darkness will dissipate and light will shine forever. Now, this is the final part of the sermon. This is the the part that bothered me in the book of Job for many, many years, so stay with me. In spiritual winter, one, I get real clear about who's in control of my life. Two, I begin to really understand the kind of God God really is, but the third one is my favorite. Let me walk you through it and then I'll put it on the screen. Chapter 42 is an epilogue to the book of Job. It's almost anticlimactic because look at what happens in verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. Now I read that when I first became a believer and read the book of Job, I read that. And I think, Wait, that ticks me off. You think God you think it's all okay now because you gave him more sons and daughters? What about, the, what about the three daughters and seven sons he lost? You think just by giving him more it makes everything okay? I don't think so. I mean, come on. How can you replace you still He still lost children. They're gone. And you read this and suddenly you realize that ancient readers, these words would have jumped off the page to them where you and I just kind of fly right by them because in this ancient text, The author of the book of Job gives us the names of Job's daughters, not the names of the sons. This is unprecedented in ancient Hebrew genealogies, and they're strange names. Hebrew names usually mean or refer to character or virtue or theological truth, like Israel means to wrestle with God. Jacob meant to wrestle with men. Then he became to wrestle with God. God changed his name. But let me give you the names of his three daughters that he lists for us. The first one is Jemima, not Aunt Jemima, but Jemima. It means a dove or lovely bird. Then, second daughter is Keziah, which means a cinnamon prized spice. And if you've ever walked through a mall or an airport and smelled Cinnabon, you know that God is good. <laughs> and then his third daughter, Karenhapuk, Hapuk, which means horn of eyeshadow. In other words, he named his third daughter Maybelline. <laughs> and the Bible says their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. What? In the ancient world, a father would never give the daughters an inheritance. Why? Because sons were strategic. They were supposed to take care of their parents in older age, so you gave everything to the sons. If you gave it to a daughter, then the money would not go to your family. It would go to her father-in-law in that family. And so that's like putting money in somebody else's pension fund. And yet the writer tells us why. Finally, it becomes clear. You know what's happening to Job in his spiritual winter? He's becoming like God. He's becoming gratuitously good. He is giving just because he has the ability to do so. He gives to those who can give nothing back in his old age. He gives it away. Now Job is uncontrollably generous, irrationally loving, and he gives for no reason at all. Satan was dead wrong about old Job. Can a human being hold on to God and faith in the middle of spiritual winter? Yes, One can, one did, and so can you. And just like George Bailey, and it's a wonderful life who did not understand or appreciate the value of life until he lost it, God's hope for you was when he blows your ship into troubled waters and you sense the absence of God, that you will appreciate the presence of God more than you ever have. And in doing so, you will run to God to find God and he will run to you and he will open your eyes to something about his nature that you had never known before. That's exactly what happened during the course of my anxiety disorder. I started asking questions, and then I started asking more questions. And those questions led to answers that I had never yet known. For instance, what was I so afraid about when the attacks came? I was afraid of dying. Because you feel like you're going to die, right? Those of you who suffer from them, you think you're dying. And when they're really bad, you hope that you'll die. Because you don't want to go on another day with that. What happens? What happens? Then I started to ask, why am I afraid of death? And then I started to realize, wait a minute, I'm not. And something uncanny happened. I began to see God in a way I'd never seen before. And I told you as I would run to try to do away with the anxiety, my feet would march to the beat of God determines who lives or dies. God determines who lives or dies. God determines who lives or dies. Suddenly, I knew worrying was no problem. I was in the hands of a sovereign God and it's a beautiful thing on this side of spiritual anxiety, or of anxiety because now it's like, not only am I not afraid to die, but I don't care what any of you think about me. <laughs> hey, you know how freeing that is? Now, I'm not being rude. I'm just saying, I realize my life is lived for one. And my job is to communicate the truth of the gospel. And if people like me, okay. If they don't and get mad because I said something that offends them, okay. Because we're all going to die one day. And through spiritual winter, you start to see things God you'd never seen and you start to become like him. You become like him. Don't you think it's more Christ-like not to worry about death than it is to sit around worrying about death? Yes, it is, because you know who holds the keys to life and death. You know what all of us need in this room? We need a Jesus revelation. We need to know that even though God seems absent, he is drawing near, that God lives, God loves, and in the words of John Ortberg, In this book, God is closer than you think. God is closer than you think. So here's what I want us to do this Christmas. Last week, I had you just take a minute, take a minute, and remember that when you see the Christmas lights, that it's supposed to remind you that one day light, that light has come into this world, and the death shadow that follows us will be pushed back completely, and everything associated with it will go But right now, I want you to pray for a Jesus revelation. What is that? Pray that God revealed himself to you this Christmas in a way that you've never seen him before. Cry out and say, I want to see him. I want to see you in a way I've never seen. I want to know something about you I've never known before. Those of you who are in deep spiritual winter where you can't sense the presence of God, especially for you, pray, God, please, in this Christmas season, before this year is up, show yourself to me. Let me see you in a way that I've never seen you before. It's a prayer that God always answers to some degree. For those of you in the room who don't have a passion to feel the presence of God, pray that God would restore that passion to you. It's a very serious issue. If you don't have a passion to feel God, and this is kind of, you're just numb to this, and you're thinking, oh, whatever. Pray that God restore that passion. This is about relationship, not rituals. And for those of you who prayed that God would give you a revelation of himself, I wanna give you one right here. Every time you see the nativity for these last few days, remind yourself that God came near and his name is Emmanuel, God with us. And the reality is that no matter how you feel, God is with you. And the emotions will return. But sometimes you got to take them and lead them by the scruff of the neck and lead them to what you know to be objectively true, that God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he's always working in every aspect of your life. Be faithful, keep seeking, stay the course. And God will reveal how little control you do have over your life during this time. And He will start to build in you, to see things you've never seen about Him before. And ultimately He will make you like Christ. Spiritual winter can be a good thing and God can do His work. Amen? All right.
1: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing with every single breath I bring. I will break this up. You are my wonder. You make me wonder. Today. 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 Today.
0: Today. With Jeff Vines. This is Pastor Jeff Vines from Los Angeles, California, and I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. I hope for you personally, this year, the wonder of Christmas is restored and you begin to see, perhaps even for the first time, the beauty of a God who would send His only Son into this world, the incarnation, to do for you what you could not do for yourself so that those of us who've been far from God can forever draw near. God bless you.